Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing motorway service stations. Peter. I believe you were recently at a motorway service station. Is that correct? Yes, I, I was on the way to hol- on the way to Scotland for holidays okay. a couple of weeks ago. Well, there was your first mistake, but anyway, keep going. Um, and we stopped at a service station. I think it was on the M1 or the M6, one of the one of those. Um, and I was just struck by the the, the horror of the place. Um, <laughs> it wasn't one of the nice. There are some nice ones, uh, but it was it was just one of the faceless ones. And I. So I posted a picture on our internal chat to Nick and Chris um, of the sort of this boring-looking functional building. Mm. Uh, it got me because it got me wondering why why the service stations all have to look like that. Well, first of all, describe the service station to us and why it was sort of brought well, you sort of, down I so guess much. It was, I, I would say it's probably eighties, nineties concrete and brick construction, mm. a sort of very tired-looking, boring sloping roof mm. crowning the crowning the outside with with glass panel big glass paneled windows uh that that obviously provide light into the sort of lobby area where mm. all the shop fronts are the the fast food restaurant fronts are um big car park obviously because it's a service station mm-hmm. some 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 attempts at landscaping around the outside to try to make provide a bit of visual interest but it, it just sort of seems so depressing it's it, it, it sort of functional and, and cheaply built mm. um and it but this is a, it's like a, it's a phenomenon that you see in lots of pu- public spaces so mm-hmm. shopping centers and air and airports where um they, they there's obviously been some vision of some architects originally but it's 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 not through disrepair but it's just it's it's just never been realized in the manufact in the in the construction of it it's it's just a, a sad place depressing place and also if you were seeing it in the middle of the summer that's one thing what about a rainy monday morning mm. in january yeah. yeah okay um so i mean i thought i cut you off there but you were sort of saying so it made you think or so what so why do we want to talk about it well it just i just it made something got me thinking why do public spaces have seem to have to always be like that right why can't we have beautiful, like cathedral-like spaces for functional, functional spaces? Mm. Um, uh, and I just sort of start thinking about the different factors involved in construction and maintenance of such public spaces and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just an interesting topic. We could sure, okay, dig into a bit. So I guess we're talking. Yes, you said public spaces. We're talking about motorway service stations, shopping centres. Airport lounges, um, you know, bus stations can be pretty horrible. Um, tell us, Nick, why? Why do these places have to be like this? I think we'll get on to why. Yeah, go on. Okay, <laughs> at right. some point. Okay. But, but do I, you agree with Peter? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, I, I, I massively agree, and I think he's put his finger on something which, um, uh, it, on a, a sort of psychogeographic phenomenon. Right. Which I I always use the term Ballardian, um, right. and I think we can't really discuss without mentioning JG Ballard. Yeah, is Ballardian an actual word? Is it or is it one that you've made up? 
No, it's an actual word, and it's because J.G. Ballard was so incredibly good at pinning this down mm. in his fiction. So just uh, to say a bit about um, Ballard. Empire of the Sun, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what he's most famous for. And he, also that one about school, his school getting blown up or whatever. Yeah, it? I yeah. think there's, there's a... Um, his, he did a few autobiographical books, one, but one of them, The Empire of the Sun, is his best known. It was mm. made into a film by Steven Spielberg in 1980-something? Yeah, 84. Mm. Um, but no, he was a, so he's a literary novelist, very respected you know, from a literary point of view. Um, lived, uh, born in 1930, died in 2009. Um, born in Shanghai, as, as you will know if you've seen Empire of the Sun or mm. read it. Um, he first came to prominence as a sci-fi author, actually, in the early 60s. But his, uh, I would say, sort of high ballard period mm. uh, is when he produced a lot of sort of dystopian fiction in the 70s. And it, mm. it, they're sort of things to do with a kind of modernity, but to do with um, technology and, um, uh, and sort of, uh, you know, controlled spaces and mm. um, artificial spaces and those kinds of things. So some of his, uh, I'd say sort of the three that he's probably best known for are uh, Crash, which is, um, that was made into a film as well by Cronenberg. Mm. Um, but that's about sort of people aroused by car accidents. Okay. Um, High Rise, which is a block of, about a block of flats that descends into kind of ca- savage violence and chaos. Okay. Um, and uh, Concrete Island, which I think is the most Ballardian book, which is about a guy who drives his car off the road uh, in an accident um, while driving home one night and then uh, finds himself trapped in this area between three motorways from which he cannot escape, uh, despite his many attempts to do so. And uh, he eventually has to sort of live there and, and um, uh, you know, for, for several weeks uh, before he's able to um, make his escape. And, and so it's a sort of modern day Robinson Crusoe, but where he's surrounded by uh, motorways rather than by the sea. So... Um, and then and then later on in Ballard's career, he's moved into more sort of crime writing and stuff. But that, that period really has, uh, I think, captures captures this idea yeah. but this this feeling that's shared by, as Peter says, motorway service stations, certainly airport departure lounges, um, shopping centres. Um, but also, I think, high rise blocks and housing estates and uh, things like hotel rooms which have a sort of certain faceless, impersonal quality to them. Um, and I feel like this is something I'm really I'm really interested in. And, and I feel like my formative years were informed by experiences in Ballardian spaces. So I, I, when I was born, uh, I lived in Peckham. So till I was about four mm. and, you know, re- remember seeing the big, huge high rise blocks, these huge concrete towers looming down on you on a sort of gloomy uh, weekday evening. Um, shopping centres like the Elephant and Castle, mm. which were relatively new thing i think by the late 70s but again it all felt very impersonal and um as peter says something a bit tawdry and cheap about them mm. um train stations i remember going to a lot of train stations like and i remember the charing cross redevelopment and i remember at the time even at the age of about three thinking how depressing the new bright colors were <laughs> you know there's something nice about the traditional you know smoke stained dirty walls but now we had all these bright colors in in sort of bright metals and it, it was kind of depressing and and i went to nursery till i was still 1981 in a in a sort of modern housing block in covent garden which again felt like that you know it was a kind of child's nursery with lots of bright pictures in it but it was in this very faceless geometric um tower block so yeah so i 
I and, and you know I also motorways and flyovers so another kind of theme in Ballard's books roads but the I, I remember you know driving on the Westway which is probably where Concrete Island mm. was set and there's something really uniquely bleak about mm. when you see the way the Westway ca- carves its way over it looms above you you know mm. throughout a whole swathe of West London mm. um, I so I think there was something very Ballardian about the 70s and early 80s and and obviously that's when Ballard was writing so w- there's definitely a thing here is what I'm saying there's definitely a thing going on there's a phenomenon of a Ballardian type of space and I think we want to drill into what that is and whether or not it's um, there's anything good to say about it uh, and how you can avoid it if you're designing a public space yeah yeah okay i mean a couple of things spread spread to mind here spring to mind here but certainly i mean i agree um i i mean i i i hate shopping and and one of the reasons i hate shopping is because it means i have to go to and i love this word it's a very english word i think precinct no one uses it anymore even the word itself is quite depressing yeah. you go to some gloomy concrete precinct and yeah, it's like it's just a it's just a, a nat away from ghetto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All those precinct ought to be made of shiny marble. It ought to make you think of the Roman Forum somehow. Right. But it yeah. just uh... and it's just full of like miserable looking teenagers, and everyone's looks sad and angry and depressed. And and then you, just, I, I, I just my family refused to be going with me anymore. I just get into a rant about capitalism or something, and yeah. the decline of 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 the western of Western world sort of thing, values and all that kind of stuff. So yes, I mean, so let's talk about why. I mean, I think a couple of in, of things. Doesn't most stuff come down to money, right? Isn't this about stuff being cheap? I think I just want to throw that out there first of all. And secondly, what's interesting is we associate this with modern stuff, right? So, because I sometimes wander around places and, you know, what would this... Was anything ever ugly a thousand years ago? Mm. Was anything ever ugly 500 years ago? Certainly, was anything ever ugly 50 years ago? Definitely. But was it ugly? And if stuff was ugly before, how was it ugly, right? Was it ugly in a different way? Um and and just another sort of thing to fly in that i think some countries are, are better at designing horrible public places than others like well you've lived in brazil right it's famous brasilia is famous for its slightly dystopian yeah architecture. i mean that's a whole other thing isn't it and um, i know we've said on previous podcasts that we quite like that kind yeah, of yeah well that's when you get into this whole brutalism and uh what's the big development in central london famous 1960s so that's um, brent cross there's quite a few what's the one that's right oh there? the barbican barbican there you yeah, go yeah which is uh, yeah. really how you do it properly right um but also the french go to the pompidou center mm. and you want to kill yourself you know um with those horrible bright colors and tubes and stuff peter um come, what, what do you th- i think is it money you want to talk about or? yeah I, I think it does really just boil down to cost and it's not necessarily just the the cost of construction uh it's also the cost of maintenance of the building so service stations i think a particularly good example because they're they're built with longevity in mind because they're quite difficult to build because you've got a big road in the way um so you build them such that they have a long life and they're easy and cheap to maintain because that makes the the business model of running a service station there more viable the less the less the less you have to spend on building maintenance, the more you can spend on services and um, um, doing things for your for your customer. Um, uh, the it, 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 so there, I think there is, a, and I think there's a natural sort of engineering like trade off between cost between sort of the, the the utility of a 
building and its aesthetics. Um, so, sort of stark examples to the it's a tough stark uh, um, in opposition to service station might be a cathedral, so mm. an old uh, or even a new cathedral, like Coventry Cathedral. Um, whether or not you like the style, they are they are high in, in they're sort of uh, they are shining examples in their in their field of of that type of architecture um but they they cost an absolute fortune to maintain because they use specialist materials and they use specialist craftsmanship and they and they're big and they are they, they don't have uh necessarily they, they sacrifice ease of maintenance for the beauty of it um so yeah i think it, i think it does just come down to a cost trade-off um I don't. I, I don't really agree, to be honest. I know where. I know. I know it feels like it does, mm. but I think that's probably a phenomenon uh, caused by something else. Um, I, so I mean, because I, I think for every for every example of a Ballardian version of something, you could come up with something that probably costs the same but isn't a Ballardian. Uh, doesn't have the same atmosphere of misery in it. So, for example, um, a motorway service station could be contrasted with a kind of imagine a imagine a garage uh, or a, a petrol station somewhere in new york uh you know in a in a busy new york street one of those mm. ones with you know people in overalls like the one billy joel's in yes uh in uptown girl yeah they're all like that i think yeah, yeah. um yeah. and like that's uh you wouldn't associate that with luxury or anything and yet mm. it's a friendly and personalized and feels you, nice you only think that because of the video with billy joel with billy and the joel, girls dancing yeah. around um, but there's also, I, I, if you take sort of um, uh, airport departure lounges, something depressing about that, S- similar sort of space. Which well, hold might on, be you a, haven't what? answered the que- I, my objection, which I think you're wrong. So you said, I, I don't think those spaces are nice. Okay, what about a shopping centre versus a traditional high street? Like take a nice little traditional high street yeah. and it's doing the same job as a shopping centre. Okay, right? yeah. And it is probably not going to be as well maintained. But this might that, be a bit dilapidated. But it hasn't but been. But it hasn't been designed in one go. Right. So, but that's not a cost issue. This is we're, okay. You're sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Then, um, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I think it, I mean even well maintained, really good examples of uh, housing, planned housing like like the Barbican Centre is a really good example because it's clearly not. Um, cheap or badly maintained but it's nevertheless you'd say there's something straight quite quite odd about the atmosphere which isn't shared by say a terraced the terrace of victorian houses um a travel lodge versus a bed and breakfast bed and breakfast probably cheaper yeah, i think they're doing different i think they are doing different jobs and i think so for t- t- shopping center versus high street i think that you get a much greater density of shops in a shopping center than you do in a high street so you, you could you could replace your high street with a shopping center and you'd get twice as many shops plus parking plus cinema and all sorts of other things in there so they're doing a different job or they're doing a similar job in a different way and also even if it is more expensive i don't know if this is answering that the costs aren't being borne by one entity i don't know does that make any sense or not i don't know well i yeah, what i'm saying is that you imagine a dilapidated high street it's still going to be nicer than a well-maintained shopping center that that's all and i mean you know you can uh, i know you come up with counter examples like leadenhall market or uh you know the burlington arcade but um yeah i mean that's that's the point really i i i don't think it comes down maybe it's an element but i don't i don't think it comes down to cost i think i think it comes down to some other features which are more to do with the design and the engineering behind it and um 
uh, and so I've got a few hypotheses of my own. So we'll come on to those in a minute, yeah, Peter. I, I, I just wanted I, I wanted to introduce the the Colquhoun hierarchy of architecture, which I came up with Aha. about five minutes yeah, this morning it. on the love train. It. Okay. Um, so it, which and it's sort of it's a hierarchy. There's three the three tiers, and it's sort of largely based around cost and effort poured into the project. Yeah. Um, and that's and largely and la- it's sort of it's not just cost and effort in the construction, but also cost and effort spent in design and in maintaining realization of that design because the point in which the architect hands over to the construction engineers you can you can make you've got a choice you can either keep paying lots of more money to get experts such as uh, anchor anchor rock to maintain do the engineering and the arch- the frontage of your buildings and things mm. for you or you can just let the engineers work it out and it won't look at anything like what the drawings look like right okay. so a, you can keep pouring more money into and, and then they, that rolls into cost of maintenance and things as well but so first here you've got what i call aspirational and crazy so these are big one-off projects they could be gov- they could be public funded or they could be private funded. So things these are things like garden bridges, the shard, um, rebuilding of uh, Canterbury Cathedral, the Marble Arch Mound. Mar- Mar- no, well, not necessarily. Well, Marble Arch Mound, yeah, but that's quite a cheap project. Yeah. I think that goes further down, I think. And then Sydney Opera House, a big one-off project, it's lots of money, and then lots of money following to keep it keep it going and keep it looking good. Um, then you've got what I call the 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 big the, the the big corporate project so these are building uh fun largely functional buildings but backed by corporations often uh well not necessarily but they they, they are they're, they're they're more run-of-the-mill more sort of you have more of them so these are functional things like the gigafactories that are being cropping up you've got leslie martin's 1960s plan for the redevelopment of whitehall um so there's less money going in longer term They'll, they would end up looking quite quite crappy although they might be aspirational to start with and then finally there's the everything else tier so this is this covers domestic housing service station shopping centers um all the projects which might look neat and tidy to start with but will end up diverging greatly from their sort of original concept yeah so but I, I think but every i think every architectural project starts with a, good intention with a good intention with some vision and some sort of optimism that's based around some sort of design uh, uh, paradigm of, of the of the of, of the time, but it comes down really, I think, ex- almost exclusively to how long well that is maintained. Mm. So things like um, the Barbican Centre, although they might feel weird, um, had they had they maintained the original architect's sort of uh, vision, and that meant pouring more money into keeping it looking nice. Mm. and con- controlling the way that the, the space is used in the way that it was intended then it would be then it would feel right which i think they've done so i, I think that's a good place to go you know it's a good challenge to people who want to say oh you know big concrete blocks are always terrible because it's actually mm. uh, not terrible it's quite nice mm. um but yeah. let's hear about your hypotheses yeah, I think so. Thinking about the way that these spaces behave and what they do, um, so which I think is is more where I've looked. Um, first of all, I think the key thing is that a lot of them are transitory. You know, they're things you stay in for a minute or a night, but yeah, not, that's not, interesting, they're, they're yeah. not anyone's home. And this sort of overlaps, I think, with um, what Mark Alger called non places, uh, which maintain anonymity of people. You know, there's no community there. And there can't be one. Mm. I, I think, you know, if you think about the um, 
Docklands, for example, yeah. totally created in the 1980s. Plenty of time now to get some character bedded in there, and yet mm. it's still not there. If you go there, it feels like a ghost town. Yeah, yeah. Go to Canary Wharf, it's a ghost town. Um, so there's the transitory uh, element to a lot of these things, service stations, roads, those sort of things. Um, I think there's something about the way that they're systematized. Mm. In other words, that, you know, they are there, you're, for a lot of them, their spaces are actually designed as a system. So if you go to the airport, you have to go to your check-in desk and then you've got to go to security and you've got to go to passport control and then you've got to go to the departure lounge and you're basically being moved through a system. Um, mm. And and I, I feel like that's something which, there's something that's common to a lot of these is systematization. If you think about a Ballardian hotel is one where you check in on screen and you know you get a card printed out and the card unlocks things mm. and the ho- you know if you want to request something you have to do it online and it's sort of very um systematized process rather than having a chat with someone um i uh, there but i uh, and i think hand in hand with that is the control which is that all parts of these spaces are controlled by someone uh, often you'll, mm. you'll find that that's a common feature is sort of they're, they're usually by people you can't see they're controlled or maintained by people you can't see so you don't have that connection with the you know whoever owns it mm. um they are often i think informatized in other words they're designed to give you information uh in, in many ways even if it's just like which way do you go um and the lighting and all the other decor is geared around that kind of you know getting you efficiently around the space but i think one of the key things for me what makes things have a really ballardian feel is this uh confinement is that they are sort of perimeterized that 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 in nearly all these spaces there's actually no way to escape um if you you know if you think about trying to leave an an, an airport or something it's very very hard you've probably got to get on a train ikea um, yeah yeah exactly ikea versus an antique shop like mm. ikea is the perfect example of a kind of Ballardian shop where you're endlessly shuffled along a kind of notional conveyor belt. Yeah, no. So I, I think you try try to escape from a um, motorway service station. We well, can't. It's surrounded by either inaccessible fields and fences or a motorway. You can't escape from an airport departure lounge. Um, you know, there's just the, every space you go to is another space that's doing something in part of that area. Mm. Um, uh, versus, you know, a, a an organic an organic high street or something like that or even a train station in the middle of town where you think well you know what i can just leave walk out and go to a pub if i want to um but you can't do that in a oh. in a truly ballardian space and i feel like that claustrophobia is something that you can see in, in mm. ballard's Mm-mm. work so so i think i think you know no doubt there is all of that issue about the architectural design the cost all of that but i but i feel like it's also the way the space is used sure. as well which i like that kind of ballardian but um, also everything you said there, I don't know if I'm cutting you off. Everything you said there, because I'm going back to my sort of thing. I was pose question I was posing to us as well. Could you have this kind of stuff 500 years ago, a thousand years ago? I, I suspect not. I'm not saying there was nothing ugly. I mean, hovels were probably not that nice, you know. And just you're you're hovel in a pile of turnips, and that and that's kind of it. I don't know. But well, I, a I, lot of the stuff yeah, that you I, said I, seems to lend itself to the modern world. Or am I wrong? I don't know. I I, sus- I suspect if you if you were uh, if you went. The big sort of great castle building mm. era of the Normans. I suspect mm. the big defensive structures with enormous perimeter walls and things were probably considered pretty unesthetic, impressive, mm. but not 
not beautiful. Yeah, scary. Scary, yeah, and, and oppressive rather Yeah, you than... look at something like the walls of Nineveh and they're just these huge, great, you know, mm. uh, uh, overbearing, terrifying... Uh, so, yeah, I, I suspect probably age has lessened the impact they have on us. Yeah. Um, but I, the, the another question you didn't ask is, can there be Ballardian natural spaces? And I feel like the closest you can get there is being in sort of a very narrow... Uh, ravine or something like a Welsh Valley, something like that, but with but with with sort of no, very little vegetation, maybe mm. just some scree and and very high rock walls. Feels to me like the closest closest yeah. you can get. This to a, a, too, yeah. natural I think space. Of a few places I've been that you don't feel comfortable in. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah sort of bleak. Yeah, deserts can feel a bit like that because. Deserts mm. aren't what there's, there's they no tend to escape not to, just more desert. Yeah, yeah. And they just tend to be stony, rocky places. Yeah. Um, it, there's something I want to move on to. I've got a because we need to wrap up, but I've got a, a question I want to ask. Um, but it, before I do, anything you need to add? No, I've got a question to. I've got a question we can answer. Oh, okay. Let's okay, hear I it. I do. I do have a little observation though. Okay, let's hear your observation. Just, it's then about, your question. Uh, the internet, which is a new kind of space. Yeah. I think I think Ballard would have been really interested in the way it's evolved. And um, and I feel like actually you can apply a lot of these thoughts to good and bad experiences on the internet. Mm. And I, I I'll tell you a really Ballardian experience that I had, which yeah. was trying to book a British gas service visit in 2017. <laughs> um, I cl- I googled uh, book an annual service visit. Up it popped, and then it said, uh, please enter your seven character booking code. Now I didn't have any code, even though they sent me an email. It didn't have this code on it, so I phoned the number on the form, and then I got an, a robot asking me lots of options eventually i got to um a voice which told me to go to a website for booking my annual service visit and gave me a url which was different to the original one then i got three options one of which was book an annual service so this then up popped a huge page selling me annual services which i didn't need because i just wanted to book one and eventually found a little box that said are you a five-year warranty customer which i was so i clicked on there and then a pop-up appeared which said for more information or to buy, please call this number. And it sent me back to the number I'd first started with. And um, Is this Ballardian or is this Kafkaesque? That was very, very Ballardian, I thought. Isn't it Kafkaesque? It, it is, I, but, I, but, I, but I feel like that, you know, it, it is. It's both, I think. But, yeah. it, but if there's such a thing as a Ballardian web experience, <laughs> online experience, that was yeah. it. You know, yeah, the yeah. sense of being sort of trapped in a machine uh, and, um, you know, there being no escape. No way from I hadn't thought about right? your analogy of online spaces, but I, I can think of, like contrasting examples so somewhere like amazon mm. is probably is quite balladian it feels like a shopping center and it's just feeding you feed, feeding you with stuff mm. whereas i quite i feel like youtube is kind of the opposite although you're kind of confined there it's it's like it's more like being in a nice comfortable big library that just keeps offering you up more in you funny or interesting things to go and look at yeah yeah I'm not sure 100% agree, but anyway, I don't want to dwell on that. What, what's your question? Let's see if your question... I've got a question in my well, head. Let's see say, if your question let, is better. Why don't we nominate our favourite service stations? Ah. Well, we could, but I don't... I can never remember them. I mean, I don't know. Are you able to conjure them up? Well, I've got two, actually. I'm going to answer the question in a different way. But, um, okay. but yeah. Are you going to answer it with a question? I'm going to answer... Basically, I'm going to ask answer the question that I wanted to oh, ask. Oh, okay. Well, what was it? Because then I can choose which... Well, my question would answer. be, what's the best, ugliest place you've been to? Right. Oh, well, actually, well, my, one, one of my answers... Kind of overlaps, right? Overlaps, yeah. So I'm going to answer my question. 
<laughs> you answer kind of both questions, at least one of them, and then Nick will figure out. So, Peter, go for it. Okay, so the most, the, my favourite ugly place yeah. um, is, uh, is, is, is the, it's called the Lancaster Service Area, um, or it originally it was called... I, I presume it's in Lancashire. Yeah. yeah, originally it was called the hang on, let me uh, the the Fortin Services. So it's just out. It's on the M6, just outside Lancaster, mm. and it's it's a wonderful Balladian space because it's a service station, as we've discussed. But it's mm. it's the one with the enormous tower, which is like a sort of hexagonal dish plate on a stick. Oh, that sounds cool. That kind of looms over the motorway. Yeah. Um. Uh. That that thing's called the Pennine Tower. Okay. Um, and it, 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 it it's now out. It's now closed to public because they can't maintain it, and it's a mess. <laughs> and it looks as you drive past it now, it's really scattered. All the paint's peeling off, and it looks really scattered. <laughs> but originally, it was a really aspirational idea because it's like yeah. you're going on this long journey up to the north or down to the south, and um, it's a really beautiful area. And yeah. this sort of it's it's a good sort of thirty meters off the ground. This big restaurant on a stick would give you amazing views more more Bay to the west and then the Pennines to the east um, would have been a really fantastic place to stop off in your little Morris Minor when you're going off on your journey to, to Scotland worth googling um, like so that's my favourite that. horrible place okay um, did you have a second one as well well my favourite service station I'll answer my question is T-Bay services so just a bit further north um, that's worth that's a, that's the, the only nice service station I've ever found the service station building itself is quite boring, but it's it's run. It's a sort of family-run business. It's very very independent feeling from the Motos and all the other big service station okay. companies. Uh, it's you, the the restaurant's good, the shop's good. It's all it's like a farmer's market next to a, to to a motorway. It sounds like yeah, that, I like the sound of that. That sounds nice, bucolic sort of yeah. Um, do you want me to answer mine or do you want? No, I can I can go ahead. Um, I'll I'll go then you go. okay okay do it so my favorite kind of ugly space is I spent a little bit of time in Tokyo um, about twenty years ago and um, capsule hotel um, wow. so and the, the, I mean not not much of Tokyo is pretty at all and it's just this very unforgettable quite ugly building you go inside and even inside it's quite ugly as well and I just remember going there and first of all there's loads of drunk uh, Japanese businessmen stumbling around the place at two o'clock in the morning. Awesome. Um, and and a wonderful surprise is they've got the most amazing spa um, <laughs> facilities. With like, you walk into this room, there's like six different baths of different temperatures, and I mean it's just wonderful. But it wouldn't sell itself on that. It's just par for the course, yeah. right? But then the capsules themselves, um, you know, it just it, it, I just felt like a twelve-year-old boy again in a sort of in a cool tech bunk, and you've got your TV and you've got everything, and you should feel really claustrophobic, and I do get claustrophobic, but not at all. You, I just sat there, just really excited, and and and, and went to sleep and just woke up just feeling like I was Buck Rogers or something. So, so that's my that's my sort of vote really for yeah my favourite ugly place yeah. Yeah. What about you, Nick? So I, I do have a big affection for the Elephant and Castle shopping centre, okay. as it was, even though, I mean, it's a, uh, I think they've done things to it, but it was where I got my first um, single. I thought you were your first client. No, That's my ABBA's Super Trooper. Okay. I also did some work experience there before I started my civil service career. But no, I think, well, the one I'd go for is actually Dover Docks. Oh, God. Um, because... Uh, 
it is uh, you know you've just finished your lovely holiday haven't you in the south of france and you've come back with you know crates of wine and yeah yeah, you probably bought some food you know some delicious tins of riettes or something and you're fantasizing about getting back and having them in your garden being still on holiday and then you get off the ferry and and it's just huge lights and parking lots and lorries and containers and massive ships and horns blaring and uh, and then a motorway and signs and it's just uh, <laughs> it is like really brings you down to earth with a massive crash um, and there's something quite pleasing about that there's something quite sort of final about this your holiday ends here mm. in all this mo- horrific modernity they i have i've been i've like i've cycled to 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 france a few times with you know going without car and those mm. those spaces on a bicycle are incredibly scary and <laughs> sort of unwelcoming you know in a car it's fine because you've got your little box that shields you from it but on a bicycle you just fully expose the blaring horns and the blaring yeah. lights um and you've got you don't and and they got better now but they used to didn't know what to do with bicycles they sort of they almost like treat you as if you're not supposed to be there mm, mm. um yeah so it's weird but you get put in a lane with a car so if it's windy or raining <laughs> you've got no shelter i've got a vision of peter spec. you know looking like a little tulip growing through the cracks in a massive parking lot you know this one little person on a bike surrounded by huge machinery and I, I think that's an image with which we should, which we should, we should leave ourselves as a gift to our listeners and ourselves. Um, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, if you've got any thoughts or suggestions for topics, you can email us at podcast at aleffinsights.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the podcast, um, what should people do, Nick? Um, they should uh, like and subscribe. They should like and subscribe. Yes. Is that it? Yeah, I feel like that's a Ballardian instruction in itself. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Peter Cockhill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.